0: If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 11, and Lord willing, we're going to go through chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. We're going to look at Saul's victory. He has his first battle, and then his coronation that's actually
1: done before the people, and then his mistake, or as I'd like to call it, his sin. And so
0: Samuel has anointed Saul, a son of Abel, a Benjamite, as king of Israel. Remember that Saul starts off well as the first king of Israel. But already tonight, when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 13, he makes his first mistake or his first sin
1: as a king. And there are more to come. Remember that Samuel warned the people.
0: This is what's going to happen if you want a king like the other nations. And they said, what? Uh, That's okay. We want another king. And yet God was their king. And so we have a lot to cover. 1 Samuel chapter 11. And Saul saves Jabesh Gilead. He defeats the Ammonites. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Uh, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Now, it's interesting right here. Jabesh Gilead is a town in Israel. Uh, They cried out the people to make a treaty with us and we'll be your slaves. We will serve you. Did they forget that they are the called of God? In verse two, in Nahash, the Ammonite answered them on this condition. I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring approach a reproach on all Israel. You know, when you read that initially, you go, oh, that's bizarre. That's crazy. No way that a king in his right mind is going to give into that. Yeah, go ahead. Take my eye out. Uh, that's everybody in Israel. Radical statement here. But I think he wants to fight. That's the whole issue. In verse 3, then the elders of Jabesh said uh, to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Why not at this point, the Ammonites should should attack? Yeah, we'll give you seven days, and as soon as, uh, you know, Time lapses for one or two days attack them. I see God's hand. Notice in verse 4, So the messengers came uh, to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices. And notice how it got to their hearts. They wept. They cried out. They wept bitterly. This can't be so. Lord, help us. I believe that was their cry. Now, there was Saul coming behind uh, the herd from the field. And and Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? He heard them. And they told him the words uh, of the men of Jabesh. But I want you to see the humility of this man right now. Notice that Saul was tending the herds of the family. Yet he is the king. God has given him privilege. God has given him position. But he's still doing the work uh, of the family. It hasn't gone to his head yet. It hasn't penetrated yet. And yet he hears the weeping. It concerns him. Remember what God said that he was going to give him a new heart? Look at verse 6. And then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news. And his anger
1: was greatly aroused. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. He had this spiritual anger. We know that
0: when Jesus went into uh, the money changers in the temple, not once but twice, a spiritual anger came over him. And he went in and overturned uh, the tables. You have turned my father's house, a house of prayer, and a house of the den of thieves, he says. And he rebuked them. And so here's Saul uh, doing what a king is supposed to do, a king that's hearing from the voice of God. And so we studied last week, God said, I'm going to put a new a heart in him. I'm going to make him a new man. And remember back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, speaking about the nation of Israel, a new heart he was going to put in them and a new spirit. Uh, Church, that's what God does to us when we come to saving grace. God wants to give you a new heart and he wants to make you a new man. He wants to make you a new woman in Christ Jesus. He puts the spirit in you. We have the spirit of sin. We have the spirit of the demon realm. We have the spirit uh, of the world. We're born into this world with Adamic sin. And God wants to give us a new spirit. And that's the power of God's spirit that we've been speaking of uh, in the book of Acts. But notice the next step uh, that Saul takes so he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, not, not the oxen, but the yoke of oxen. And he sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Strong message. But the message needed to get across. The the message needed to be pointed. It needed to get a hold of their hearts. And when he numbered them in in Bezek, uh, the children of Israel were uh, 300,000. And the men of Judah, uh, 30,000. So uh, they have a a good company of people. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun uh, is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported uh, to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. They were glad. They were rejoicing. I believe that uh, they were thanking God. They were raising their hands unto the Lord. The Lord heard our cries. The Lord heard our prayers. Uh, They were not only glad, but I put this in my notes, they had the joy of the Lord. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was that the next day that Saul uh, put the people in three companies and they came in the midst of the camp in the morning, the morning watch and killed the Ammonites. Until the heat of the day, and it happened uh, that those who survived were scattered, so that there was not left two of them together. When God goes before you, how can anybody come against you? And so, I want you to see the reference. We spoke of this last week. Uh, Saul is a Benjamite, Uh, they were the fighters of Israel. But most importantly, Mark verse 6 again. The Holy Spirit has come upon us Saul. The Holy Spirit has come upon Saul. And yet as we continue, we're going to see that he's going to already sin in chapter 13. And then we're going to see further that he's going to begin to, to falter and to really go against the laws of God. And if Saul is anything, uh, could describe him, he's a man of disobedience. And yet he 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 started out as a man of obedience. But remember, the people chose him, and he stood head and shoulders above everybody else.
1: And when they saw him, uh, that's him. He was handsome. He was Saul, The whole thing. This is the king that
0: we need. It's so sad when we look at a leader, and so many times we don't look at what God has done in that person's heart. But we have this tendency, we look at the outward appearance, and we set up these mind frames. Well, they have to look like
1: this, and, and they have to look like that. Have we seen what God has chosen? And
0: I mean, we're going to see Saul. He's just going to get worse and worse, if you may. But notice now uh, in verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, uh, shall Saul reign over us? Bring them out to us. Bring these men that we may put them to death. How quick the people turned. Saul was so being a a true king at this point. The people said, bring out those who previously came against Saul because there was a group, remember? And they said, let us kill them right here, right now. You know, it would have been very easy for Saul to say, yeah, let's bring them out. That way they're never going to bother me again. But even here, he has compassion, humility. Again, the Spirit of the Lord is on this man. Uh, again, remember this. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God fell upon certain people, certain individuals, uh, certain circumstances. When we come in the New Testament, in the book of Acts in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 in the upper room. And that same outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as we've been sharing on, in the book of Acts on Sunday morning, is still available today. There are those that say uh, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, died after the apostolic age. I don't see that in Scripture. I just do not see that. I can honestly tell you Billy Graham could not have been uh, the effective evangelist that he was for so many years without the power of God's Spirit. And, And there are so many others out there. Even some
1: pastors that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God still gets a hold of them. And to
0: say that after the apostolic age, after the, uh, the first apostles died up, uh, we didn't need the Spirit anymore. Where do you get that from? When the Spirit is available to those that ask, those that seek, those that knock. That's what we're told when we pray in Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 13 with me. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished a salvation uh, in Israel. Good call, Saul. We will see early in the ministry now. Uh, Saul is a man of humility. Listen, not only is he a man of humility, but he's a man of good spiritual pride. He's trusting God. He's leaning upon God. And I'm going to give you insight before we get any further.
1: He's only two years into his kingship. And then he makes his first sin. Makes his first mistake. It happens so easily, church. This is why I believe we need
0: to stay on our toes. Then uh, verse 14, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Let's go and rejoice. Let's go and give God thanks. Let's go and and bring the coronation now. And that's what's going to happen uh, to Saul in front of all the people. Samuel's already anointed him. Samuel's already laid hands on him. But the people need to see it. The people need to recognize it. So all the people went to Gilgal, verse 15. And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. Uh, There they they made sacrifices of peace offering before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced
1: greatly. Rejoiced greatly. The people of the various cities in Israel. I mean, we saw the numbers that were part of the war, part of the, the military.
0: But gradually they're seeing the hand of God in this man. And they're
1: coming together. And now they're going to see the coronation. He is a king. But it's short-lived. It wasn't God's fault, obviously. It wasn't Samuel's fault. You see, we can be anointed. We can be called. But we also have a flesh nature. We also have a free will. And
0: I hate that free will sometimes. I hate that that flesh nature because it'll raise its ugly head. And you get so frustrated. You get so, uh, Lord, why does this happen? After so many years, Lord, why did I get angry? Why did I say this? Why did I say that?
1: Lord, I promised you, and I broke that promise again. I've been there. I've been there. Notice on verse, uh,
0: uh, or 1 Samuel chapter 12 now, Samuel addresses uh, at at Saul's coronation, the word coronation, it's the crowning of the king, the laying on of hands and, uh, you know, asking the Lord to, they poured the oil, the flask of oil, that's already been done. But here uh, is the time of of presenting the king to the people. Now, by the way, uh, in verse 15, They had made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. You know, when you read about King Solomon, boy, there was a huge celebration. And all the other kings, it doesn't say here how long they celebrated, but generally in Israel it would be seven days, giving God all the glory. And so we begin here, 1 Samuel 12, look at verse 1. Now, Samuel. Uh, said uh, to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king
1: over you. I like that. Samuel didn't want to do it, remember? But God had spoke to them, give them a king.
0: Samuel was a judge. He was a prophet. And, and we know he's getting up in age. We're going to see that in just a minute here. It, it's time for him uh, to conclude his ministry. He knows it. Sadly the reign of government at this time. Turns from a theocracy. God ruled to a monarchy. Man ruled. Samuel is stepping down. As their leader and giving them. Uh, to Giving them over to Saul. This coronation takes place in front of all the people. Now they've already witnessed the. Uh, Uh, the victory, as they defeated the Ammonites, and and they, you know, Saul, Saul did it, our king, used wisdom, he set up the armies and such, he used tactics, He's he's a Benjamite, he's a fighter, and rightfully so, but because he was anointed of God, because he was called of God, and yet does he make mistakes? We are going to see that. And so in verse 2 gives us a description of where Samuel is at. And now here is the king. Samuel presents them walking before you. I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. And you know, as soon as I read that passage, it, it takes me back to Hannah. It takes me back to Hannah when, when she was crying out to the Lord. Uh, Lord, give me a, a man child. And then uh, uh, the other wife of Elkanah was always just badgering on her. Hey, you can't have any kids. Look at me. I'm a baby machine. And see, that was important for the Hebrew mom. They were to have Children. And yet she cried out to God. And when she was in the temple, remember how hard she was praying? That Eli, the priest, looked at her, and he couldn't even uh, hear anything, but he saw her mouth moving. He assumed she was drunk. And she said, I'm not drunk with wine, but I am a woman in anguish of spirit. I don't know if you've ever been there where there's a, A situation in your life. There's a circumstance in your life. There's a tragedy. There's something. I'm I'm just going to throw something out there. Imagine you just got word that a a family member was kidnapped. That's going to get a hold of you. I don't care who you are. And you're going to go to prayer. And you're not going to pray like you've always prayed. God has your attention now. You're going to anguish in prayer.
1: I saw that about Hannah, and she prayed and prayed. But remember the story? It wasn't until
0: God what would, God would he wanted from Hannah. Lord, give me a man-child, and I'll give them back to you. All right. That's what God wanted. God was going to give her other children, but Samuel the prophet belonged to the Lord. And remember, she weaned him. And so we estimated two, three, four years old, And then she took him to Shiloh, and she left him there. And she would come and visit him. Moms, remember this? Once a year. Once
1: a year. And he went to visit him. She made him an ephod. And I mean, this guy learned uh, how
0: to be a judge, how to be a prophet uh, from a youngster. And God used him mightily. Well, his time has lapsed now. It's time for him to step down. Uh, The people have spoken and God has uh, taken heed and he's going to give them man to be the king. Now, remember, this hurt God. It frustrated uh, uh, Samuel. It hurt him. But what about the heart of God? He was their king. He was the one that led them and, and guided them in all truth. And now all of a sudden, here's Saul. And Saul is not going to be a good king. Notice verse 3. And here's Samuel. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken? He's giving testimony. Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to build or, or to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. Samuel says, Here's your opportunity, Israel, to witness against me. Samuel's testimony,
1: since he was weaned as a child, went before him. It went before him. I mean, he was a prophet. He was a judge. He was a spiritual leader. And everything and anything
0: that Samuel did, he did it for the Lord and yet God blessed him. You have something against me, now's your time. I like that because he's going out in glory. He's going out in the power of God. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand.
1: I want you to see the integrity. The integrity of this man.
0: And I build up the integrity of this man because we're not going to see it in Saul. And then later we're seeing uh, we're going to see it in David, and then it's going to diminish again. And yet we know that David repents, and the Bible says, and this has always baffled me, that David is a man after God's own heart. And he committed adultery,
1: and then he committed murder. He was not allowed to build the temple. He had bloodied hands, remember? Yet God saw his heart.
0: And that's us. We sin. We're all sinners saved by grace. Yet God sees your heart. And then he sees a repented heart. And so when you come to the Lord, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. Samuel was a man of God, a man of integrity. Look at verse five. Then he said to them, "The Lord is witness against you. Uh, His anointed is is, uh, anointed as witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand." And they answered, "He is a witness." Samuel is saying, "God is my witness," and he was. He's a witness of my walk. He's a witness of my life. He's a witness of my ministry. And this was done, yes, before God, but also before man. Samuel was a man of God. Samuel
1: was anointed of God, and he kept the pace. He was he was in the Lord, and he finished the race in the Lord. Ah, uh,
0: learn from Samuel, Church. Look at verse six. Then Samuel said uh, to the people. Uh, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. And so he's giving testimony of the forefathers. And we know that Moses was a pillar. We know that Jacob, even though all the things that Jacob did, he was a pillar. Joseph that was sold to slavery in Egypt was a pillar. And so Samuel's not alone and he knows that. And remember, when we went through the judges, not all the judges were good. But the testimony of the great exodus, the testimony of God's love. And I'm going to give the numbers again, but let's keep going here. Look at verse 7. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your father's. Samuel is about to give them a history lesson, an Old Testament Bible study. And that's what we do here, basically. We're going to name some of the the judges. And if you were with us in in the book of Judges, you're going to remember some of the names. And so the Old Testament ministers to me. The Old Testament is pointing uh, to the cross. And look at verse 8 now. When Jacob had gone into Egypt... And your fathers cried out to the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them to dwell in this place. When you go back to Genesis chapter 46, uh, Jacob entered Egypt with 70 strong. And that included Joseph and his family. After 400 years of bondage, the people were crying out, crying out. And God sent Moses. And God sent Aaron. And we know in the great exodus, as they've done the numbers, the calculations easily, 2 million to 3 million, could have left in the great exodus. And then I'm, I'm always just uh, amazed, because the children of Israel, right away, it doesn't take much, and they falter. But they witnessed 10 plagues. They witnessed the 10 plagues upon Egypt, 25 miles outside of Egypt. Was the land of Goshen? That's where the Hebrews were living. Not one judgment. Remember the flies, the gnats, frogs, boils. I mean, and yeah, if you're in the land of Goshen, you're going. What's all those swarms over there? What's going on in Egypt? And then finally, what happened? The firstborn in Egypt dies, including the animals. And so the testimony, the witness, and and the children of Israel were good at passing down from generation to generation. Teaching their children, what does it say in Proverbs? Train up a child in the ways of the Lord, and when they are old, they will not depart. And that's a responsibility we have. Train up your children, because sooner or later, they're going to move out of the house. Train them up in the ways of the Lord. Uh, we just heard a testimony. A statistic this week. Some of you might have already heard it. Christianity has lost about seven to eight that,
1: percent. That's a big drop. Seven to eight percent Christians have backed off and said, I don't believe anymore. I'm not a Christian anymore. And this is what's happening. And we see it. We see empty churches. You're going to see more of that church. You're going to see more of
0: that. Now he gives testimony about what happened during the time of the judges in verse 9. And when they forgot uh, the Lord their God, he sold them uh, into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and and they fought against them. The Bible says a nation... Without God, it's going to perish. Every time the children of Israel, they were supposed to be the apple of God's eye, they were supposed to be called of God. but every time they went back into their sin nature, and what was their sin nature, idol worship? idol worship. In fact, when uh, they were there at Mount Sinai, and Moses is up there getting the tablets of the law, Aaron is down at the bottom, and then uh, remember that Joshua is waiting for him right at the base of uh, of of the mountain. But Aaron's inside, and what do we find Aaron doing? He's molding a golden calf that they worship, and they learn in Egypt. How quick. And so, a nation without God is doomed. We need to pray for our United States of America. We are slowly heading that direction. It's 7, 8% the statistics uh, that people are dropping out from Christianity. Now, honestly, how can you drop out of Christianity? I have to ask, were you
1: really there? Were you really there? But well, we see Saul here. We see Saul. Notice now verse 10. Then they cried out
0: and the Lord said. We have uh, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherahs, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. This was the constant move of the nation of Israel. I mean, we know they served God. And then they would serve the various idols, the various foreign gods. And it just seems that uh, they went to Baal worship, they went to Ashtoreth, uh, they went to Molech worship. And this was the scenario. This was uh, the constancy. Notice now in verse 11, and the Lord sent Jeroboam, if you remember the judges, this is Gideon. And then Bedan And Japheth and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. Remember that, uh, excuse me, Gideon didn't want to go. Gideon was
1: fearful, yet he was a good judge when God called him. And we know others, there were other good judges also.
0: But Samson that everybody kind of banked on was not a good judge. But at the end, he repents. At the end, he repents. Notice verse 13. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. The reminder that Samuel brings over and over of the king that you asked for. (laughs) I like that Samuel says, I don't want no part of it. I told you what was going to happen. And he ran it down to them. He's going to take your man children. He's going to take your your women children. And he's he's going to rank them. He's going to take them right through the fire. And he's going to make them this. He's going to make them that. What did they say, remember? We don't care. We want a king. We want a king uh, like the other nations. Now, look at verse 14. I love this. And if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against uh, the commandments of the Lord, then both you and the king who reign over you will continue following the Lord your God. I like that Samuel cast Saul the king into the pot. Not just Israel, but Saul also. I want you to turn to a passage with me. I turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's called the Great Shema. Hear thou is the translation of Shema in the Hebrew. It's the Jewish confession of faith. Now the Jews would uh, basically say this prayer every morning and every evening. And they said it from their heart. And Jews still today... Uh, Follow suit in this. And so fear the Lord, uh, serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandments of the Lord. Uh, Listen to the great Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That prayer was made in the morning and in the evening. In verse 6, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Don't just read them. Let them be in your heart. In fact, they memorize uh, these particular uh, scriptures. In verse 7 and 8, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them uh, when you sit uh, in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up in the morning, and the evening, throughout the day. One of the things that I experienced years ago when I, uh, my workplace took me back to the East Coast, and I was there uh, for 16 weeks. Uh, I was in a little place called Lewistown, Pennsylvania. We were setting up a company there. It was actually our old company. They shut it down, but I had the opportunity to go back there and help them set up and it it was a blessing I always wanted to go back east never had and it was an Amish country I wanted to see that I'm a new believer and I I I'm excited about this and this is what tripped me out if some of you that are older and if you remember those days and if you were ever back east you would go by the farmhouses there was always scripture and I mean whitewashed huge massive letters I mean, almost every house, every uh, barn had scripture. And my friend Danny and I that were there working, we were believers. And we just got uh, so excited as we kept reading scripture, kept reading scripture. And so last year when Mary and I went back and we were in various areas, the same the same areas. And I kept looking for
1: the scriptures. I go, Lord, it wasn't that long ago. They're not writing scriptures anymore. Oh, we found a few
0: but they're not writing scriptures. Somebody told me, um, if you go back to England, remember, England is the one that sent the missionaries to us. And uh, if you go in a regular neighborhood, an old neighborhood, and you find where uh, the the foliage is growing over, uh, the eaves and such, and if you get off and pick them up, you will find scripture. But they're all covered over. They're all covered over. Notice now. Teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And verse 8, very important here. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets uh, between your eyes. Now, the frontlets were phylacteries, another word, uh, and you would take these uh, frontlets. There was one for the arm, and there was also one for the forehead. You've probably seen the Jews uh, wearing those. You would take a parchment, of which were four <laughs> passages of Scripture. You would fold them up, and in that... Uh, it was, you know they wrap it around. Google it, and you'll see how intense they wrap wrapped it. And then from here, this way, and then right about in this area, somewhere here, there's a there's a square box, and in that square box is the scriptures. And the frontlet would be up here somewhere. And another box. These this is all made out of leather. These are the four scriptures: Exodus thirteen. Uh, verses 2 through 10, Exodus 13, verses 11 through 17, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, that we just read, and then Deuteronomy 6, uh, 13 through 23. Now, uh, that is beautiful to watch. We see it when we go to, uh, you know, to the, the Western Wall and you're there in Israel. But I want you to take note what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, Jesus rebukes the religious sect. He says, they do it to be seen by man. They make their phylacteries wide. And Jesus called out woes against the religious sect. Let's finish Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse, 4, uh, verse 9 now. You shall write them in the doorpost of your house and on your gates and on your gates. Now, this is Old Testament. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. And so easy when we read the scriptures that we can respond, well, Pastor Bob, that's Old Testament. And again, those are the ones that don't want to, you know, see the Old Testament pointing to the cross. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. I mean, the commands of God. And so in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, the scribes had asked, uh, Jesus, which is the first commandment of all. In verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Jesus had silenced them. If you read earlier on the doctrine of the resurrection in verse 35 now, then one of them, a lawyer, a scribe, asked him a question, uh, testing him. They never really wanted the answers. They were always testing Jesus, and they said, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Listen to this now, verse 39 and 40. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. And What did they accuse Jesus of? Uh, they accused them of, of coming to destroy the law. And Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And he came to fulfill the law uh, through the law of love. Not of rituals, rites, and customs, and traditions. The law of love. Oh, I love that. Let's go back to our text now and look at verse 15. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you, and it was against, as it was against your forefathers. This happened to them. You don't think it'll happen to you? You, kept, you keep rejecting me. You keep worshiping idols. It's going to come upon you, and it did, church. It did. In verse 16, now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Today, not the wheat harvest. Now, he's going to give them a sign that he means business. Is today not the wheat harvest? He's asking a question. This is Samuel bringing it forth. Now, I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see your wickedness is, is great. Uh, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking the king for yourself. Albert Barnes, in his commentary, said harvest was between May the 15th uh, through June the 15th. It never rained in harvest. Why? It would destroy the crops. But if you come against the Lord in sin nature, it will rain and thunder and destroy basically your harvest. And yet these guys just, just, again, would not take heed. In verse 18, so Samuel uh, called uh, to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rained that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. You know, Samuel wasn't the one you're supposed to fear, but Samuel was the one uh, that would bring the judgment on them. The Lord would use him. And so this is a sign from the Lord and you will see it, and they will rebel. Verse 19, and the people said to Samuel, Pray uh, for your servant uh, to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. They're finally getting it. They're finally getting it. Now, uh, what is Saul doing at this time? He's got to be hearing all this. He doesn't quite understand, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Notice now. There's always room for repentance, and that's what we're going to
0: see here. Uh, Samuel said to the people, do not fear, verse 20. Or they said in verse 19, and the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil asking for a king. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all the wickedness, yet not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord. How? You serve the Lord. Old Testament, New Testament. You serve the Lord from the heart. You serve the Lord. Listen, and when we fail, and we do fail, when we sin, and we will sin, We have an advocate, a lawyer for our defense. And so there's always room for repentance. And don't let the enemy speak to you and say, God's not going to hear you again. God will hear you. Come to the Lord. Repent. For the Lord will not forsake his people, verse 22, for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. It has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, listen again to Samuel's heart. Moreover, as for me, afar be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Here's the responsibility of all leaders. That's why I say I love to glean from the leadership in the Old Testament. A responsibility that we have. I am to pray for you as well as you are to pray for me. I am to pray for the body of Christ. I am not to neglect the body of Christ. And especially when I see that they're doing something wrong, I need to pray. Be careful because it could be so easy. Uh, They've had it. I'm not going to pray for them anymore. Who are you? I mean, look at how many times God has given us what? First, second, third, fourth, fifth chance. And, and, you know, the list keeps going. But the responsibility. As for me, far be it uh, from me that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. In verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great thing he has done for you. Sometimes we need to just kind of kick that. And you're there in the quietness of your room. Maybe you're at your table. Maybe you're at the couch, and you know you got a cup of coffee at early in the morning, and uh, take some time to reflect. I mean, the wife's not there. The husband's not there. It's a it's a time just between you and the Lord. And so you say, well, Pastor Bob, I barely have enough time to get up in the morning. I have to drive like 15 uh, miles or so or two hours sometimes. Well, what a beautiful time. Turn the radio off. Turn that sound off and, and, and pray. Or put on a good worship CD. And for the next time, you, the next, what, hour, half hour you're driving. Uh, the people that work in El Paso, they got a whole hour, if not more, to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. And so what a beautiful picture here. In verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, uh, you shall be swept away. Listen to this. <laughs> Both you and the king. Both you and the king. Samuel warned over and over and over again as God spoke to him. And now we come to the last chapter tonight. First Samuel 13. The caption in my Bible says, Saul's unlawful sacrifice. And so his first mistake or his first sin as king. Saul reigned, listen to this, one year and when he had reigned for two years over Israel, uh, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. Uh, 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah. Of Benjamin, or of Benjamin. Uh, The rest of the people, he sent away every man to his tent. Now, I want you to really underline Jonathan and and remember him because he will become David's uh, best friend. He'll become David's confidence. He'll become David's lead and insight to Saul because Saul is going to try to kill David so many times. And this is Saul is Jonathan's Jonathan's is a son. That's his dad. And Jonathan attacked attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gibeah. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, "Let the Hebrews hear!" Now all Israel heard it and said that Saul had uh, attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel and that. And that Israel had also become an abomination uh, to the Philistines. They feared them. And the people were called together uh, to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered uh, together to fight uh, with Israel. 30,000 chariots, remember that, and 6,000 horsemen and, and people. Here's a description as the sand which is on the seashore, and multitude. And they came up and they encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. Huge army. I mean, just the chariots alone uh, were huge when you think of 30,000. In verse 6 it says, When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were uh, distressed, perplexed. Uh, Then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes,
1: in pits. Fear settled. Anguish settled. They ran and they hid. These are the people of God.
0: It's reminiscing to me in the book of Revelation when the judgments are coming. People are going to go hide in the caves. The government that's up in the Colorados are going to go into Norad and go behind, uh, inside the mountain there. We're told that there's an underground city at White Sands. Are those things going to stop the judgments of God? No. No. Remember what stopped the judgment when the angel of death, uh, people say it's not an angel of death, when death came in to the camp and the firstborn
1: of Egypt died but what saved them the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost
0: that's the blood of the lamb the lamb is christ that covers us but they were in such turmoil of fear there was such distress the heart was just pulling on them they hid they ran And some of the Hebrews crossed over uh, the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him, trembling. Just a short two years. Such fear sets in. What happened uh, to their trust in the Lord? What happened to the promises of God? We've all read the accounts recently. We hear of. Hundreds of Christians being killed by fire, being beheaded, children being beheaded. And you say, Lord, how do they do it? How are they able to stand there? I've read where uh, the ones that are going to be beheaded turn around and, and they,
1: they witness to their, the one that's going to kill them. That is blowing their minds. You can only do that if the power of God is in you. You can only do that if the power of God's spirit is in you. We're waiting now. Look at verse 8. Then he said, this is Saul.
0: He waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. As we have shared many times, church. And I'm right here
1: with you. Waiting upon God is not an easy task. It's hard,
0: Lord. I've been waiting. I've been praying uh, for this. I've been praying for that, Lord. I've been waiting, and yet, does God have a time, a time limit? Does God have the the, the Rolex, the the Timex? I mean. God doesn't need a clock. He doesn't
1: need, he doesn't have a sundial. Does he look up into the sun and go, hmm, I wonder what time it is? No, come on. I love this. In verse 10 or verse 9, so Saul said,
0: bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here uh, to me. And he
1: offered the burnt offering. Big mistake, Saul. This was wrong this was disobedience.
0: So he made his first sin. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that that Samuel came and Saul went out uh, to meet him and that he might greet him. Saul knew, I believe right here, what he did was wrong. And he went out to Samuel and Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, "Uh, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that You did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mi'kmash. Interesting, he blames the people. And then Samuel, it's your fault too. You weren't here. You said seven days.
1: (laughs) You should have waited. You should have waited. You see, it's not about you, Saul. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's always about the Lord. It's always about the Lord. And sometimes God is teaching us
0: patience. And in that process of teaching me patience, teaching you patience, God makes us wait. God makes us wait. We're just a people of habit. Uh, We just don't like to wait. I know I don't. Look at verse 12. Then I said, the Philistines will, will now come down on me. At Gilgal, and I have not made a supplication, prayers to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Trying to make excuses. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which commanded you uh,
1: for, he says, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. Samuel is rebuking Saul.
0: He's rebuking him. What happened to what we just shared in 1 Samuel 12, 14. And then we shared about the commandments of the Lord. uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. The prayer was made in the morning. The prayer was made in the evening. Look at verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Right there, he lost his kingdom. And the Lord hath sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Well, what is he saying right here? This is a prophecy already of King David. King David would be the next in command. But it's still a ways away. Look at verse 15. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin And Saul numbered the people uh, present with him, about uh, 600 uh, 600 men. Verse 5 said the Philistines had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 footmen. And then he speaks about the weapons. Very important here. You have to understand something. The Philistines had weapons. The children of Israel had not uh, learned how to smith. They had not learned how to smelter, and they had not learned
1: how to forge. And so basically rocks and, and stones and, and clubs, that is. This is radical here. And it goes on and it says
0: here, Then the raiders came out of the, uh, the camp of the Philistines, in three companies, one company turned uh, on the road to Ophrah, uh, to the land of Shul, Another company turned to the road of Beth Horan and another company turned uh, to the road uh, of the border that overlooks the valley of Zebuim uh, toward the wilderness. Now, uh, there was no blacksmith uh, to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, uh, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshear. The mattock, which is a pruning shears, uh, his axe and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pin. And, and the best I could get out of that, uh, the word p- "pim" P-I-M, is about two, uh, two to three quarters of a, of a shekel. Two-thirds of a quarter of a shekel from the plow shears, uh the mattocks. And the forks and the axes, and to set points on the goads. Remember the goads? They were used to keep the oxen at bay. So it came about, verse 22, on the day of the battle, that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any uh, of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found uh, with Saul and Jonathan. So Saul and Jonathan were the only ones that had any kind of a weapon. I mean, what a statement! In verse twenty-three, we conclude, and the garrison of the Philistines went out uh, to pass, went out to the pass of Michmash. Next week, or our next study, we'll see that Jonathan has a plan. It's always amazing to me that the children of Israel falter, that Israel goes off astray so many times in the Old Testament. And yet God is always willing to take them back, always willing to pray for them, always willing to lead them and guide them uh, back to serving God. And they did many times. And then, again, they would falter. And you're going to see when we get into the kings, it's really sad. Eventually, there's going to be a division, and that has to hurt the heart of God. And then there's only a handful of good kings. Only a handful of good kings in the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And it's a sad commentary. And yet God has never, listen to me, given up on the nation of Israel. Man has. The world has, especially right now, in the turmoil that we see. And our call is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Our call is to pray for the nation of Israel. Our call is to pray. To the Jewish people. To the Jewish people. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, teach us uh, through the Old Testament, Lord. And we see the the heir of the children of Israel. Uh, We see the heir uh, of King Saul. Lord, teach us. Teach us to. Uh, take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is sharing with us. Sadly, Lord, but let us see the example. Let us glean from uh, the example of these being judged. Uh, that we would not go there. But that we, we would truly serve you and obey you, Lord. The Lord, teach us to wait upon the Lord. To wait upon the Lord. And so, Father, go before your people as they come tonight. Bless them, anoint them, Lord. If there's anybody uh, listening to the teaching tonight and you've never made a commitment to Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. You need to come to the cross.
1: And so, Father, bless your people now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.